Hello and welcome to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. My name is Gabriel White. I'm here at the law firm of White and Garner with my partner, uh, Dan Garner. And also with us is the inimitable Scott Powers from the law firm of Snow, Christensen, and Martineau. And I've just guaranteed he will spend this afternoon looking up all the different definitions of inimitable. So, um, with that, hopefully he can avoid doing that on his phone while we actually record this podcast. That's a negative, Ghost Rider. Um, <laughs> this, uh, today's podcast will be focused on advanced topics in openings and closings. Well, it's delicious topics? advanced toppings. Advanced, advanced topics in, in openings and closings. Um, and we... Just trying to give the people what they want. Yeah, give the people what they want. Advanced topics. Advanced topics. Advanced toppings. Um, so, um, we will start with openings. Obviously, this is a part of our uh, the CLE series that um, me and Ghost Patrick, who is not here today, uh, put on uh, as a fundraiser for the Young Lawyers Division of the Utah State Bar uh, about once a month, and we're going to be doing one not this Thursday, but next Thursday at 4 o'clock um, at the Utah Law and Justice Center. So if you happen to be in Utah listening to this, go ahead and sign up for that. It's always a, a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, Patrick doesn't know what, he, what he's doing, but, you know, occasionally I say something that's useful, so uh, you definitely get your money's worth. Um, so opening, opening statements, um, a lot of different theories on how these should be carried out. Uh, I, I know I have seen opening statements that I considered sort of brilliant layouts of, of what the story was going to be presented at trial. And I've also seen opening statements where a lawyer stood at the podium and, uh, uh, you know, at the lectern and just read a piece of paper where every sentence started with, the evidence will show, the evidence will show. Have you really seen that? I've seen that, yeah. And, and that was an attorney from Holland and Hart who'd been practicing for 30 years. But apparently not doing a lot of trial work okay, so in that time. I so, know a lot of things say don't use the phrase, the evidence will show, but... I've actually seen that used, and I've actually used it in one trial to kind of get me, how to say this, <laughs> to get me around the no argument yeah, thing. It's, the evidence will is, show that argument, argument, argument. I think it's the only reason. So then you say, well, Your Honor, I was just talking about what the evidence would show. The, the o- well, I'm not opposed the to only, saying it once. The, yeah, the only reason. I, he said it, well, every sentence every is, sentence yeah. The, is the only much. reason for using it, I think, is if you draw an objection for argumentative, you'll turn and look at, at opposing counsel and be like, the evidence will show... Give him the that, stink that, eye. Yeah, give him the stink eye. Like, okay, everybody understands what's going on here. Um, you know, and then when you make your argument to the judge, you can obviously say, look, Your Honor, I, I'm not required to tell the jury that this is what the evidence will show. I'm just required not to, the rule is I'm not allowed to discuss anything that won't come into evidence, that I don't think is a high probability of coming into evidence. And um, I'm not allowed to argue the case. I can state facts, but I can't argue the case. Now, it, this is I one let of the, the facts argue the case for me. 
Well, isn't it, isn't one of the isn't that what we're talking about? Yeah, here? exactly. How to make the facts argue the case for you in an opening? Exactly. And so, what are some of the ways that we do that? No idea, huh, fellas? Oh, no, this is gonna be a short no podcast. No idea. No idea. There are a million ways so, to do that. It's just so, like saying, "Well, so how do you try question. a lawsuit?" And everyone stops and goes, "Well, let's think well, about fudge. it." Well, fudge. There are about a million. Well, things come I up with. Right I'm now. saying, come up with one. <laughs> Our listeners would like to hear your, and they can't see the air quotes I'm putting up here, but wisdom. He's got his tiny little hands in the air. <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to respond to that. Oh, my gosh. Um, boy, this all started the way, out well. The boy, this all the ways I could, I, could, well. I could respond to that, but... but uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep this PG let's, for... Let's just say... Like, let's just say... Well, never mind. All right, um, Mr. all right, Mr. President. Let's move on. I'm good. Um, comment. I'm good friends with your wife too, so I won't make any comments <laughs> like, that might inflame the tensions at home well, in, your, my kids in, in the like powers household. Um, so, what one of the ways that that I've found to to do it? Obviously, it needs to be centered around your theme. I and, was just going to say that it's got to be theme based. Yeah, and you're, you. It, trial is a process of, of storytelling, essentially competitive storytelling, and so if you spend a lot of time talking about legal standards, I like that, and, word, that wording, competitive storytelling. Well, that's really what it is. Is you you get up and tell a story. The other side gets up and tells a story, and if their story is full of okay, the standard of proof for this is, you know, no one this, says standard and this of would proof all in their all, opening. There, I promise you, there are people. There are people are. You, you have to. You, you have to show. What I'm saying is, is that if one side gets up and speaks like a lawyer, using total legalese, I mean, how long did it take you after you got out of law school before you started to feel like a normal human being again? Well, or did it ever? Wife, it still or, hasn't or did it never occur? Uh, right. Precisely. Yeah. Actually, we were talking about that this weekend. How law school pretty much. Turns you into a non-human. Well, no, I don't think. Okay, I don't think so it turns a different kind of human. Gabe, I don't know. I mean, you maybe you came out of law school speaking nothing but Latin, but I didn't. No, I feel I, like what law school did for about. me is change the way I think about things. It didn't yeah. necessarily make it so I couldn't communicate. Well, and indeed, in law school right now, at least. Back in the day when I was in law school, one of the big initiatives that was happening was a. Uh, they were trying to get people to stop speaking in vis-a-vis concordantly type language and instead in more vernacular, right? Relate it to the people. And it makes sense because if you're convincing a jury, you want to relate to them as opposed to speaking above them. Oh, absolutely. And and I know how it goes, Gabe. I mean, every time I talk to you, I have to explain a lot of the words I've been using. (laughs) For example, I can explain concordantly off the air if you'd like, but uh, for now, let's just move on. Um, so, I can explain vis-a-vis as well. So, so, so we agree that that you should avoid using legalese to to lay out your theme. Some other well, there's like sacred are, cows, right? There's like thanking the jury for their time. Don't do that. There's, <laughs> yes, ever, do it thank ever you so much for your time. Well, okay. we all know that they would never have showed up if they weren't. Yeah, just, to be I mean, better. you you can see a lawyer who's been who's been sue. We've all seen the lawyer who gives the same opening, who's been trying cases for 30 years, gives the same opening in every case, right? They gives the same, you know, I thank you for being here, 
and for fulfilling your civic duty. And we live in the greatest nation of the world, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and they give they basically the same opening. Do you opening. ever wonder if, like, the jurors expect that, though? Because that, that's literally what, I mean, every TV show, and that's basically... But every TV show gets it what, wrong. I understand well, that. Well, you're going to be rolling there is, and say... I understand that. Bite what me, saying, y'all. Y'all gots to be here, so let me tell you no, what's going to go down. What I'm saying is say, the typical juror, the only experience say, they have is usually through a movie or television. Right. but so Which so, is wrong most of the time. But I'm wondering if there's like a backlash ever. No. If, if they don't do it. Trust they me. They hear what it, they want to hear. And they're like, wait. Trust me. He was supposed to thank me. No, trust me. The jury will be far more grateful if you rather than spending time on on thanking the jury you get up and the first things out of your mouth are it was a bright sunshiny day and a, a mother sunshiny and a daughter day. stop singing and a, a mother and daughter were driving to the mall but what to get if it some wasn't a case about anything having to do with sunshine that's i mean you get my point jackass right like <laughs> Well, I get it. I get it. They want to hear about the facts. They so want to hear the, the story. They, they want to hear the. They want to hear the story because, like we talked about before, it's storytelling. But I, th- I think Dan has a point. No. I think there is something to be said with regard to expected formalities and expected cordiality. Oh sure. They expect you to be cordial. So, like when, when we were watching the verdict, my wife they they did the they were bringing everyone to attention basically. And they and they didn't do the oye oye right, which is only really before the Supreme Court is when they right. do that. But she, in her head, for whatever reason, she was like, "Oh, why didn't they? Why didn't they do that?" Jurors don't give a shit about that. But it's just it's just, well, I'm they just don't. saying it's interesting, Gabriel. Sure, it's interesting that your wife thought that. We're pontificating about, but, but the point a is a whole bunch of stuff. So what we're trying we're trying to give our listeners here some ideas jurors. of advanced topics and openings and closings. So. So one so story, one way to approach it is, is is by starting rather than wasting time on platitudes that the jury knows you don't mean and that the jury you know is not there to hear yeah. get up and tell them the story the thing they want to hear they want to know when jur- when you talk to jurors who are excited to be on the jury yeah it's because they want to hear the story they want to know and they want they want the to decide they want the details yeah so here, here's a question, and, and I asked this they because want the imagery. reading this book, and I've been thinking about how on earth I can apply it to, to trial, um, my trial practice, is um, who is the hero of the story? Exactly. That's a good question. When you're presenting the case. Hopefully your client. Well, it all depends on what kind of case. Because well, if, but so if your client's going to be the villain, it's not going to well, be, it's not going to turn out very well. There's... But every day, the jurors wake up, and they're, they're the hero to their story. Not unless you're gay. So, so what? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, most I'm sure people, he knows you he's the villain. And they're, they're the audience, right? They're the audience. Uh-huh. The, the jurors' the audience. So I'm, I've been, this, this book is called Story Brand, and basically it's, it's a marketing book. But it's basically saying how you present yourself to the your audience should be the guide, the Obi Wan, and your customer is Luke. Yeah, he's ripping right? off Joseph. He, he's ripping off. Uh, well, uh, the a, hero of a thousand faces. Yeah, it's a. It's what a, is this? Is this a very book? yeah? It's established. A, 
It's it's a book written by, and I always say Joseph Conrad, but it's Joseph Campbell, who who mm-hmm. basically analyzed mythological <coughs> patterns in mythology, patterns in myth mythology going back thousands of years, everything from Greek myths to you know ancient Sumerian texts, and fo- and found that they all follow essentially the same pattern as the first Star Wars. Yeah. Um, which is that Luke so is the hero. The humanity has he's not a, sure how to do a it. common a common format for story to, for stories. Mm. Right, but he's applied believe. the the theory of the what is it thousand hero of a thousand faces thousand is faces. the name of the book. Yeah. So he's applied it to marketing, and so as I read the book, I'm like, I wonder how I can apply that. Well, that's a book from 1949. Practice. Nice. Yeah, it's um, it's very good, and so, you know, I I think at a lot of times as lawyers we especially during trial we present ourselves as the hero and for sure the your client should be the hero if you're doing if you're telling the story correctly uh but it's also i'm just and like i said i'm i've been thinking about it i've been trying to figure out how to do that is make how do you make the juror well, the I think, hero in the story, and maybe it's just that trial. I don't think. But he, should the juror be the hero? Well, that's what. I'm, uh, well, uh, in I their brains, he, they are. I well, think. I think that right? that's and to communicate them on a deeper level. Then maybe you need to put them in the I, shoes I think, of your client. I think that. I think that well, it depends on the case. Maybe that's what I'm. That's and, and like I said, I'm not. I don't have an answer. I mean, so when you're when you're asking the jurors to find reasonable doubt in a criminal case then that is absolutely the position that you want them in, is the position of you are the ones who can do justice. You are the ones who can give justice to my, cl- to, to my client. And, um, you know, you are the ones who can, who can do what is right here. No yeah. one else can. Okay, I've got a question for you, Gabe. Okay. Staying on the same topic. What is your opinion on theme statements that, wherein you start by saying, this case is about. I think they can. In certain cases, I think they can be very useful. because, But it depends on if you follow them, how you follow them up. You say, this case is about, you know, a, a, a teenager who was not paying attention at the wheel of a car. What and then you launch into the story of what happened on that day. And, and that's... That's where it gets very important to make that story real, okay? Because the jurors need to be able to put themselves in the position of the story. So some of the more advanced opening styles are, are things that allow jurors to do that, like, like using very vivid imagery, talking about things like what, what, you know, what the weather was like that day and how, how they felt and where they were going and why it was so important for them to be there that day and and then you know discussing the defendant and why the defendant you know they were rushed and they had to go to this meeting this meeting was very important to them because it had to do with whether or not they were going to get a raise and they were late because you know of, of this issue and you know in, in in a moment of 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 weakness or of of you know uh imprudence they took their eyes off the off off the road. Well, when I ask about that, I wasn't so much saying whether or not there should be a theme. I was asking about the the bracketing. Whether you should state it up front. Yeah, no, not that. For example, 
Okay. If you have an accident and it involves, let's say, some hypothetical person named Janie, and Janie's been injured, you could start out instead of saying this is a case about uh, a, a, a blah blah blah. You could say Janie was a straight A student. Yeah. Janie was a 28-year-old mother of two who had recently obtained her paralegal certificate. See, those are two very different. Well, with your yeah. example, you're saying, I mean, you're 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 bringing focus immediately to the defendant, whereas that example is more um, focuses immediately on the client. And I think that the answer well, to the, the question is, is 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 that there is no one way to do your opening in every case, which is why well, things like be very good for the podcast and we're gonna well, argue about no. stuff. Rob was a piece of garbage. <laughs> no, the, the the point is is yeah, that terrible it is, job. It is good for <laughs> the podcast because the the whole point is is you've got to I was being facetious. I, I understand that. But before we get into that, just a brief word from our sponsors. Unfortunately, most lawyers are never available when you need them. Many of them don't put your interests first. The lawyers at White & Garner do things differently. We take each case very seriously. We will always put your interests first. We represent people who have been injured in accidents. We also handle commercial litigation cases. Other law firms assign your case to a paralegal or secretary and put that person in charge of managing your case. Getting your actual attorney on the phone can be a nightmare, no matter how important your case. At our firm, every case is important, and every client gets our full attention. We only take cases that we are comfortable taking all the way to a jury trial. Every move we make helps us better prepare your case for trial. To get the best results at trial, you need a lawyer that is paying attention and that is not afraid of a jury. You need the lawyers at White & Garner. Each client of White & Garner has access to their attorney at any time, any day of the week. You can talk directly to your attorney about your case at any time, day or night. If we do miss your call, we will get back to you within 24 hours. If you hire a lawyer from White & Garner, we will be there for you when you need us. That is our promise, and we keep our promises. What we're looking for is persuasive ways to tell our story and persuasive ways to to explore our theme. Now, in some cases, might that be stating the theme up front and then explaining to the jury why? Yeah. I mean, you want to turn one way or the other, you want to turn your theory of the case into a refrain by the end of your opening. And certainly by the end of your first, you know, cross-examining your first couple of witnesses, if you're, you know, the plaintiff calling up defense witnesses or, or your own witnesses on the stand. Um, and, you know, what do I mean by refrain? To not do something. No, I mean something that the jurors are going to stick in their heads like like a song that they can't forget. I know. You know, a a a mantra. A refrain is another. I mean, it's a. It's it's in, a, it's a way of saying for theme for theme exactly. But it's it's not it, the theme is a concept. The refrain is a short statement of the theme that's catchy. That you know. It, 
If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Now, I realize Johnny Crocker probably didn't come up with that till the end of the trial because he had no idea he was going to be able to go Christopher Darden into getting O.J. to try on the gloves. But that's the, kind of the idea. Is, well, according know, to that movie they did. Yeah, well. set him up like crazy. I think That was and like I, their main goal. And I, I've heard Christopher Darden explain it on a podcast, and I believe, I could be wrong, but is I think. He, I can't remember. That's the prosecutor, right? No, Christopher Darden was the defense, uh, was was the, was a pro, one of the prosecutors who, and he was the one who He was made the one who the asked de- for the glove, right? Right. So when I said he was one of the prosecutors, I was. You were correct there, okay. yes. <laughs> Even a broken clock, my friend. Even a broken clock. Twice a day. (coughs) But, you know, so your your object there is to turn it into some sort of a refrain. Um, Catchy tune. Now, how do you do that? Well, again, I think that goes back to, I mean, you really need to think hard about not only your theme, but a a theme that catches people and resonates with them. The, The... Single mother of two, working hard and having her life taken from her, uh, or, or or being injured to to where she can't provide for the children anymore. You know, it's got to be something really persuasive. Just don't, you know, just use the facts dryly. Use them yeah. in such a way to to, like you said, create a refrain. Something that they constantly are thinking as they listen to every single witness. And that's the point, right? When we're talking about advanced topics, we want them after hearing our opening statement to have this. This framework that we've put together be what what uh, kind of flavors every single yeah. bit of evidence that comes in. The glasses way. that they see the yes. whole case. Yes, yes. Yeah. We create these wonderful rose-colored glasses for them to look through. You at least, I mean, yeah, at the very least you want to create sympathy. Hopefully you can create some empathy. And, and, I, think that's and I, think, I think you can avoid the argumentative objections uh, with this for two because one can still draw an argumentative objection based on your tone or the, or the way you're presenting it I think your, your safety comes in two things first if you can get up there to the judge and say look I am just reciting the facts that will be established and I can tell you with regard to any fact that my opposing counsel has or any word that I've used opposing counsel has a problem with I can tell you which witness is going to present that that in their testimony first of all and second of all if it really is engaging if it really is drawing in the jury that's one of the judges primary I mean obviously not getting reversed on appeal is is you know is uh, is is critical for 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 judges but one of their one of their biggest concerns at trial is the jury is the jury Paying attention. Is the jury comfortable? Is the jury enjoying it? And they're going to be reluctant to cut it off if it's not. Now, let's segue into something that I think applies in both openings and closings. Um, wait, 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 real quick, real quick. I've heard a lot of people say that they start with their opening, and a lot of people say they start with their closing. It's like the first thing they do. And, 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 you, and I don't think you can do that. Because you so won't that was know. my question. Is yeah. you, you don't start with that at so, all. Like have it written beforehand. Yeah. So I have an idea of what I want to say in closing, but the reality is you can't you can't have a, a real outline of what's going to be in your closing until you know what evidence is going to is yeah. going to come in. Because trials well, I don't like think you'll know. Tri- I mean, trials like a war. Okay. No plan survives contact with the enemy. 
And so you, you, you may know the evidence, but you may not know that this defense witness is going to come off as particularly weak. Or, like, say you're trying a case against an attorney I won't name over at Strong and Annie, who likes to, and who frequently does, and has been appealed a number of times based on statements made during this, in, you know, parts of her closing argument and throughout the trial, likes to belittle the plaintiff. Um, yeah. You know, got in trouble for mentioning the McDonald's coffee cup case. Ah uh, yes. So you know, and this and the the, the case was reversed. And and Just talking the with worst the, case to bring up. And talking with you know, with 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 some attorneys who, who've worked with her in the past, um, not now, but if in the past, that this is a conscious strategy to basically mock the mock the plaintiff's case and try and get the jury kinda laughing with her on her side. And yeah. you know, does but the work? problem is, is there's counters to that sure. that are powerful. But you're not going to know where that's going to come from until you get into trial. Yeah. So you can have a, a basic idea, but I, I don't know that you can have the whole thing, even the tone or the tenor fleshed out, which, which leads actually perfectly into this, this segue I'm mentioning, which is, is that use of tone and, um, you know, for lack of a better word, vocal effect. Not speaking in a monotone voice. Trying to vary the pitch, the tempo, the volume of your voice, the way you move around the courtroom. Okay? The use of notes or not, hopefully not, um, to give these, to give the op- your opening or your closing. Um, I have seen very effective closing arguments, which should have been very effective closing arguments, destroyed by an attorney who was walking, basically walked back and forth with a legal pad to which had been clipped and stapled every single piece of useful material that he wanted to mention in his closing and kept referring to it and be like, and another thing, and another thing, and just kind of back and forth. And, and we all have seen attorneys that have died the death. You said that worked? No. Okay. I've said it. Well, I've seen it, an, another what should have been a great closing and a great case. Destroyed? Destroyed by somebody who did that in closing. Mm. And I think the th- same thing can happen in opening where you're reading it. The new trend. See, and I think that's why you have to have some of your closing. You have to know which way you're going. Because if you don't know until the closing arguments are going to be given at most you have a night right and i and i think here's the thing is is as far as closing is concerned by that point you know in your bones especially if you've been doing what i what i recommend always which is the attorneys who are going to try the case are the ones who litigate the case up to that point you know in your bones everything there is to know about this case you know ridiculous facts about this case that are never going to come up. You know weird things opposing counsel said on the way to the airport when you guys shared a cab after a depot. You know everything, and you've just been immersed in it for a day, a week, a month, whatever. Putting together the closing is going to be a lot like that point in law school where you did your final outline before you before you took the test, where really you're just putting in the headings. 
Yeah. Right? Because you know when you say, I want to talk about this. Okay. You know what that is. And so it becomes not as difficult and allows you to focus on things like, now you may have stuff like saying, all right, if I don't say X, Y, or Z, the judge will dismiss my case. And so you may want to put that on a note card, put that up on the podium when you walk up there. And so as you're walking back, you look at it and say, oh, yeah, by the way, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's worst-case scenario because you never want to end on something you had to say legally in order to win. But Or with, and by the way. And by the way, yeah. Oh, and another thing. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, as, as lawyers, and in Utah I've seen this, we don't ever use any of these skills. I mean, even lawyers who don't restrict themselves to the podium, sometimes they call it not restricting themselves to the podium when they stand next to the podium with their hand on it. Or they stand just stand in one place right out in front of the podium. And that's for sure not what jurors are expecting. It's the zone defense. They are expecting Movement. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. They're <laughs> Oscar expecting... Winning, in front of them, very dynamic. I mean, that's for sure. What they're they're expecting that if there was a key meeting where the parties sat down, that when you're talking about that meeting, you're going to pull out a chair and you're be like, the parties sat, you know, yeah. the parties sat down at a table, much like one of these ones here, and they looked into each other's eyes across that table and they made a deal. Now, one of the parties is here today, say they don't, like, they don't like that deal. Now, who was that? And then you get up and you walk over by opposing counsel's tail. It was them. Or if, I wanna, if I'm responding to something that opposing counsel has said in their closing, then I'm going to get up and... If, if, if I'm up against this attorney who likes to mock my client, I'm going to get up and walk over and say, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I would normally do this, but I would like to apologize to you on behalf of the legal profession. Because ad hominem attacks, personal attacks, have no place in this courtroom. We're here to talk about the facts. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Now, they want to talk to you about, you know, X, Y, and Z, and Y, all this stuff, but none of that matters. And you know what? You know that none of that matters. Okay? Because unlike you, unlike them, you came into the case with no preconceived notions. Sherlock Holmes once famously said that it's a mistake to theorize before you have all of the evidence. And, you know, you can go in from there and there's... Thank you, thank you, Powers. I, 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 pre I appreciate it. I, I've got, I've hey, got, for the record, from I've you, got tears from running you, down I will my take eyes. What, Gabe is just from, from you, I will take whatever kind of clap I can get. <laughs> a, small, a, a big clap, a small clap, a golf clap, a slow clap, any kind of clap. <laughs> so speaking of claps, visual aids. Booty clap, whatever. I was just about to ask about the technology. How you guys... So that's, that's, that's the other thing I've seen. And... and I just I'll mention this. There are, is a generation of young lawyers that are falling into the trap set for them by their elder brethren who just read their opening statement. 
and it's those young lawyers who read PowerPoint. Their, who who read well, PowerPoint can be can be good if you're showing images or if you're using that's it to. I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's a PowerPoint with a bunch of words with outlines. Yeah, where they put up, they, they think they're being all 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 you know interacting with the jury and using the technology by putting up a PowerPoint with words on it, and that's basically their outline, and they're basically reading it from the yeah. screen instead of from a piece of paper. I mean, I, I guess... No, when I say visual aids, VR I mean, technology. if you've got a case where, and you've got a six-year-old who's died, putting a picture of that six-year-old up during opening... Oh, powerful. Super powerful. And you can use PowerPoint to do that. I'm not saying you can But I think you need to be careful by... You know, you need to present your theme, but you, you got to keep it th- you got to keep it clean. And if you, I mean, if you pop off forever and get too deep into the weeds, yeah. you start to lose your people. You want enough of a theme so they're thinking, six year old, oh look how cute he was, he's dead. And then you get off, get off your soapbox. You've done it. You've done it. They're thinking six year old. They're thinking passed away, and they're thinking, man, I can't wait to hear what happened here because I'm not happy that this cute little guy's gone. Right, and then everything they hear, yeah, well, it might have been a little bit his own fault. It might have been this. It might have been that. But the whole time they're thinking, powerful stuff. Look how cute he was. Oh my gosh. Well, and, yeah, and I think as a general rule, people talk too long. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that's true, and I think that, like, like <laughs> as me. we've seen today, well, like me, yeah. Well, well no, like <clears throat> not, I wasn't. Trying it's to it's the you, danger of not having a, the one. The one downside of not having it written down is that you may get to the end. And yes, Roger Dodd famously said he's like you know Irving Younger, who was the dean of cross examination before uh, Dodd and and um, and uh, Larry Posner, you know, wrote their book. Used to say, "You never ask one question too many." How do you know when that's going to happen? And Roger would say. Well, you can't. That's not really a good way to put it, but you can always tell when you're up there and you feel good and you feel yourself grabbing your belt or grabbing, your, grabbing your, you know, if you're, if you're wearing suspenders. suspenders, grabbing your suspenders. And he said female lawyers sometimes find themselves, you know, playing with their hair or something and it just feels good. It's like, sit down. Sit Everybody down. else in the courtroom can say, sit down. You're about ready to say something you shouldn't. I, I Don't still, do it. I still remember uh, watch. I was... I was um, uh, clerking for uh, Judge Kimball, and it was a criminal trial, and it was a murder for hire, and <laughs> the defense attorney nailed his closing, nailed it, and I was like, "Oh, sit down." And done. He, he went on for another half hour. No. Like, oh. <sighs> the whole time I was like, "Oh no." Yeah. You lost him. You lost the jury. Yeah, they want they want you so bad to sit down and shut up. Right Defeat now from the jaws of victory. That they want they will hire someone to murder you. <laughs> you. To yeah. sit down. Well, I think you've got to have a good sense of of what points you want to cover, you know. And and like I said, when I say no notes, I I don't think there's any harm in having an index card at the podium, oh, saying, no, hey, no. these are the subjects that I must cover, and, you know, and. And if you have trouble memorizing things, uh, first of all, I would never memorize an opening or a closing, but I would memorize the first paragraph and the closing line that I want to use. The or the closing paragraph. And I got an so that I go, here. So I go out. So I go out. I come in strong, and I go out strong, and I know exactly what I'm going to say. And in between, that's when 
if I have to add something in, I can add it in and still go out strong. Yeah. And be done. I think one thing to add is is you're supposed to move, you're supposed to gesticulate because people like to see a little bit of gesticulation, but that's just it, a little bit of gesticulation. I can't tell you how many times. There are a couple of attorneys that I will not mention that I think they get crazy. Their their elbows are wide and they're, you know, doing the whole I'm a bodybuilder type gesticulation. Hulkamania. And that's only the case, man. That is so distracting. So they had to have. Do you think the Hulkster's attorneys during his big old? No, they had to had have their elbows way they out. They had to have just like, well, you got to do this. They had to have motions and lemonade yeah. on a whole bunch of that kind of stuff. That was they a have, weird case. They had motion and lemonade on how, what color do rag he could wear. Well, they really? motion and lemonade on limiting him to one piece of jewelry. Did you, well, did you watch the depots and things? It was like, so who are you asking? Are you asking the Hulk? Or yeah. Are you well, because he's, yeah, he's trying to make the he's trying to make the well, sure, the, it was a strategy. Persona. It's just a, it's a weird. It was a weird case. Fabulous. Well, it, and it, and and truthfully, if 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 the Gawker guys had taken it seriously, I think way different outcome. It was the flippancy of a couple of their of couple of their remarks that took that from being a you know maybe a ten million dollar case to a hundred and fifty million dollar case. The Gawker attorneys or Gawkers. The Gawker, the Gawker, guys. the Gawker guys. I mean, you know, when he says he gets asked, well, how? Yeah, okay. So you're saying any any famous person having sex is newsworthy? A video of it. How young would a person have to be for it not to be newsworthy? And the, the guy, because he had said, well, maybe it was a child. I don't know. And he, he's he's blowing him off because he doesn't think it's important, but it's a video dep. Yeah. And he says he he throws out flippantly, four years old, I guess. You know, and the jury hears this, and they're like, "Well, that, I think that's oh how that guy thinks." Oh my gosh! Well, I think I think he just wasn't taking the lawsuit. They weren't taking the lawsuit seriously. Well, I think he actually told the truth. <laughs> well, that may, that may be, but I mean, just, we we know from statements they made later is that you know Gawker, up to a certain point at least, didn't take the lawsuit very seriously because. Yeah. No media company takes a lawsuit, a slander, or defamation lawsuit against them seriously because so few of them are successful. They will now. Yeah. Only takes one. Yeah. So closing closing arguments, I mean, I think it, it's your final opportunity to really connect with the jury to to... You know, obviously, all of the studies show that most of the jurors have at least partially made up their, or mostly made up their minds at this point. So, you know, a lot of the time, you're, you're, what you're doing is not so much trying to win over the entire jury, but trying to, whoever they may be, and, and trying to guess who, who's on your side and who's not as a fool's errand, I've found. But trying to give the strongest case you can so that those jurors who are on your side talking to specific people is that what you mean based on trying to guess who, demographics yeah. and, of, and thinking well, and um, you know increasingly especially with younger judges they're giving you more freedom to move about the courtroom to you know do things at least in Utah and other states are more common but in Utah, some of the more theatrical stuff has usually been restricted. But um, I'm noticing with younger, newer judges, they're a lot more willing to let you put on the case as you see fit. And so 
I think it'd be we'd be remiss not to take advantage of that. I mean, if you can move around, if you can, but I agree with with Scott with the gesticulations. Well, well not to all, mention all movements should be purposeful. Yeah. Well, not to mention, I mean, for a lot of us, that's why we went to law school. Exactly. So why on earth wouldn't you take full advantage of which this, this opportunity? Which you know we're running out of time here. Just to sum up, I I think. One of the key points here, and a key point when we look at all of trial practice, is that trial law really is a different animal from from just as much as as uh, you know trust in estates is different, you know a different practice in family law than is a different practice in litigation. Trial law has its own art to it that that you know really great the really great trial lawyers uh in history you go back and read some of their closings some of their openings some of their cross examinations and it just it resonates in a way that you know their their ability to read what's going to what's going to resonate with the jurors and present that in a compelling way is an art form that i think has to be studied and has to be practiced in order to be learned are we done talking about closings then because i have a few no, if you want to you want what I jump what in. Been, it really, so I, going to what you're saying, it is an art form. And a couple of the things that I've seen, now granted trial in different areas of laws is becoming more and more of a rarity. But some of the more effective things I've seen in closings are um, using of demonstrative aids to emphasize a, a piece of testimony. Right, I, at one point, I, I can't remember what the context was, but they had a quote by one of the key witnesses, just in, in a big poster board, and they put it up there, and it was like, whoa! Because it was, I think it was an admission or something, but I remember thinking, can, can they do that? Can, you know, I was a young attorney at the time, this was 10 years ago or so, and I remember thinking, can, can they, no, can they be, really do either that? Either a video depth or it'd be pulled out on the screen. Yeah, but, it, but yeah. it was huge, and it was in the jury's face, and it, it killed them. Yeah. And it, it was just this demonstrative thing, I mean, I don't think it's a good idea to go, you know, witness by witness and say, and then Jimmy said X and Joni said Y. No, that but, gets, yeah. That yeah gets but that's boring. I think the key for me. That's not um, a story. No. Is I think that you need to avoid being petty. I feel like juries really respond to professionalism. And then don't bore them. It's got to be on point, thematic, impactful, not boring, and get out of Dodge. Yeah. yeah. And well, ask for and ask for a dollar. If you're on plaintiff side and you don't ask for a dollar number, I think you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. Well, I think from plaintiffs too to tell a good story, I I think that 100% comes to connection to your client. So um, I can't remember which attorney it is, but it's in it's in David uh, Ball's damages. But that he he like goes and spends he like sleeps over. At the client's house. Yeah, gets to know the client really, he like, really he'll well. He'll like spend a couple days or something with the client. In one of his cases, um, they were you know immobilized, had to use a wheelchair, and, and I think they were upstairs. And somehow it came out that the, the one of the biggest fears they have is if if there's a fire, I'm gonna die or my family's gonna die trying to save me, right? And so this. Um, and that would never, you know, that's probably never, ever going to come out if you're sitting at a conference table talking to someone. It's only because he was in their room uh, talking to them on the side of their bed um, that he found that story. And I think, for me, that's the most rewarding part of being a trial lawyer anyways, 
Sleep connection to well, yeah. Sleepovers with some pajamas. free lodging, you know, free lodging, free lodging, uh, free lodging. But I just, just that connection to, to connection to the client. Actually, I mean, most especially in those situations where their life is going to be defined as what their life was before the accident and what their life was after. Yeah, when when you're dealing with and I and I 100% agree. I mean. When you're dealing with a situation like that where the client's life has just totally changed, understanding each of those changes and how, you know, what the client's daily life is like is critical. And being able to tell that story to the jury in a compelling way, that is the art, is to be able to tell the story in a way that's compelling, in a way that will stick with them, and in a way that is stronger than what opposing counsel uh, is doing. Um, and you're going to win cases and you're going to win some big verdicts that way. Um, you know, I, this other attorney, I, I assume, you know, she's a senior attorney at a, a major firm in town, so I assume that means she wins a lot of her cases. But I, you know, I can't endorse a strategy where, you know, of, of trying to belittle the opposing party because I just think there's too much potential for that to backlash on you. I absolutely think so too. Well, um, thank you very much for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Trial Lawyer Podcast. If you happen to be in Utah next week, next Thursday, there's a really cheap CLE that uh, will definitely get you your money's worth. Um, uh, you can watch me... Um, verbally abuse uh, Patrick Burt and him verbally abuse me and everybody has a good time and I'm um, talking about openings and closings in our litigation 101 series um, and I um, hope you enjoy uh, thank you very much for listening and please remember to subscribe